language learning is so much about confidence, right? Um, you have to have some level of confidence to really throw yourself into the embarrassing part, which we all have. That's Martina Castro, founder of Adonde Media and the woman behind the popular podcast produced for Duolingo. Martina Castro is a language learner herself and told me about when she first had to teach in the language she is learning. My first class where I read a script that I wrote, I wrote the entire 90 minute class out word for word. I was so scared that I would make like an obvious mistake. And one of my go-tos is always to just let people know. Now I'm not embarrassed for them to know that, hey, I Spanish is not my first language. It's not my most dominant language. Just FYI, I'm gonna make some dumb, you know, mistakes. But the problem is that my accent was so good that no one expected me to be, uh, you know, make mistakes. And so uh, they were confused. They would look at me like, wait, but you just said something dumb. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right. I don't speak Spanish confidently like this. I am an English speaker. Like I would have to tell people like in the store. That is so funny because me, I, I don't have that problem. I open my mouth, my mouth immediately. They know. <laughs> Isn't that a funny silver lining? On this episode, producer Fernando Hernandez and I have a chat with Martina about how she found her passion for telling stories and how this passion led her to create what may be the most popular podcast for language learning in the world. I'm Steve Levine, and this is America the Bilingual. I was born in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Uh, both of my parents are from Uruguay. My mom from the city, my dad from the farmlands. Despite speaking Spanish at home, she didn't study it formally at the Montessori school her parents had put her in. And there was a reason. Your parents, uh, what age did they put you in this English Montessori school? Oh, I must have been four years old. And so up until that time, everyone was speaking Spanish at home. That's right. And, and then they worried that you might be ostracized. And so they started speaking English to you. How was their English at that time? Not very good. <laughs> Some of our most famous family stories are about my mom in particular being misunderstood by our teachers. For example, there's, for, for some reason, these phrases just stick out. Orange juice it was very hard for my mom. So it sounded like she was saying orange shoes but it's orange juice, little things, you know, and my poor mom was also probably discriminated against or kind of treated differently in my school settings because she didn't speak perfect, perfect English. But anyway, they tried. And I think TV was really how I learned by just being immersed in storytelling. It would took me a long time to understand that she spoke with an accent and that people couldn't understand her. So what was your incentive to learn, to try to really master English? Was it the bullying or was it trying to please your, your parents? That probably, you know, the quintessential immigrant story that they want the best for their children and they are like, you have to do it. You have to work your ass off. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it was so early on that I have very few memories about this but I'm pretty sure it was to fit in. 
Like mm-hmm. my mom didn't want me to feel like an immigrant. I wasn't. I was born here. You know, I'm I'm American. So she didn't want her lack of abilities in English to impact my abilities. Um, but later she regretted it because she tried to get us to speak Spanish with them when we were older, like say eight or nine. And we, we didn't want anything to do with it at that point. We could understand her, but we would answer in English. That's such a common story. So what did she do when you would answer her in English? She'd complain. She'd probably make a joke or two, but I mean, you can't force a kid. So she was busy. My parents divorced when I was seven. So my mom was raising my brother and I on her own, had a full-time job, had side gigs that she would do on the weekends. Like my mother was working a ton. And so she wasn't really involved in school. She wasn't like your typical PTA mom. And so it was looking back, I wish she had put me in Spanish lessons or forced me to learn Spanish in a more formal way, but she kind of respected what we wanted. And I wanted to learn French. I studied French for seven years. I suppose my first French class was in seventh grade, all through high school and in college. It would be later in her life that Martina studied Spanish formally. She even took a semester in Spain during her junior year at Amherst College. And it was also at Amherst where she started her journey into storytelling. When was the first time that you were listening to the radio, either in Spanish or in English, and you said, oh, snap, I want to do that. Mm. Or I can do that. (sighs) It was an evolution. My dad listened to NPR. He's an avid NPR listener. He's a truck driver, has a trucking business but very, very, very knowledgeable about the world. And I guess that's where I heard my first like audio story, probably all things considered or morning edition sitting with my dad. So that kind of reporting was probably interesting to me because of my dad, but then I wasn't sure I wanted to do that until a family friend who worked at NPR asked if I was interested in writing a column for NPR about like being college-aged and interested in media. And I was like, sure. So I auditioned for this role and I got it. And then I met my mentor, who's my mentor to this day. And he recruits uh, young people of color into the public, Doug Mitchell. And he runs the Next Generation radio program, which recruits and trains young people of color in audio storytelling and gets them exposed to what this is. And I was studying women's and gender studies in college, and I knew I didn't want to do that as a job. And I had this internship, yeah, this weird internship that I was doing for Doug, like writing columns, but I also loved music. And I was like, oh, well, maybe a career, it would be interesting to dip my toe into radio or audio because it's kind of like music. I was still probably entertaining a future where I would get into music at some point. In college, Martina was in an acapella group and absolutely loved it. She was hoping to have a career in music somehow, but then she got an aha moment. Maybe the aha moment was as I got an internship on the... on. Talk of the Nation, which was a daytime talk show. It was the only talk show that NPR had. But I was exposed to the inner workings of what it was to tell, to write a script and to interview people and to tell someone else's story, not write my own story. And I loved that. 
And then I had my first big assignment. And that was as a producer to go out with like a very seasoned investigative reporter at the time to do a two-part series for All Things Considered about tomato pickers. And, and that blew my mind. Like that was it. That was when I was sold. She was only 22 at this time. I had the best school in the world. I learned alongside the top audio storytellers in the world in my mind. And they were so generous and taught me everything I need. That was when I was like, oh yeah, I want to do this. You know, as long as I can. <laughs> when was the moment that you said, okay, this is great. I'm doing it in English, but wait, how about Spanish? Well, just a fun fact, that first big assignment I got because I speak Spanish, because <laughs> I could talk to the tomato pickers. Tomato pickers, yeah. yeah. They were like looking around. I remember my boss at the time, he was like, hey, do you speak Spanish? And I was like, yes, I do. And they said, oh, because we need a producer to go to Immokalee, Florida. And it would be really helpful if that producer could also be our translator or our interpreter, interpreter. And I was not very confident about my Spanish at the time, but I knew I had to say yes. And I remember go, running home and studying all the potential terms I would need to know. But it is not a coincidence, I think, that that big break was because I speak Spanish. And it, it is a fun fact looking back because I didn't really like work in Spanish again until many years later. Martina left NPR and moved to San Francisco, where she started working as a reporter for KLW, a local station where she then became an editor and later managing editor. I had been there for like five or four years and was approached by my co-founders of Radio Ambulante. And honestly, at the time, I was just like, I was a very big This American Life fan. And I just didn't understand why that storytelling didn't exist in Spanish. Radio Ambulante is a podcast somewhat like This American Life. Radio Ambulante tells stories from Latin America in Spanish with a unique and idiosyncratic approach. It was co-founded by Daniela Larcón, Carolina Guerrero, Annie Correal, and Martina Castro. Why did the four of you think that there would be a market for a Spanish podcast? I don't know. I think because we wanted, we wanted it to exist. And everyone we talked to said, oh my gosh, yeah, why doesn't that exist? So they made it exist. The first few years, we were just so excited. And we all had day jobs, most of us. So it, it was just finding the extra time. I was much younger. We were just all kind of excited to make a thing that we believed in. And I'll say, having done our Kickstarter campaign so early, I don't think we had any episodes done yet. And we raised quite a bit of money from about 600 donors. And so already having those super fans in our corner encouraging us to make a thing that they had, hadn't even heard. I was like, very, we were all very encouraged. We partnered with BBC World, BBC Mundo, and we made an agreement with them to share Radio Ambulante on their website. That brought us a ton of traffic. We got grant money from various sources. So that really felt good. <laughs> and we grew by word of mouth only. I don't think we had any marketing budget, but very early on, we threw live shows. And I think that really helped like to see the impact of your storytelling and to talk to in the flesh, the people who believe in you, 
and love what you're making, I think that all fed into us wanting to keep on going. Radio Ambulante's growth has been astounding ever since. It has won multiple awards, is currently on NPR, and this year it won the Waves Award, or Premio Ondas in Spanish, one of the most important awards in the Spanish language. While she was working at Radio Ambulante, Martina got a Fulbright grant that allowed her to train journalism students in narrative radio storytelling at the University of Montevideo in Uruguay, another chance to live in Spanish. Maybe the Fulbright like primed me for what can I give? Because that's the whole point is like, what can you give to this other country that they can't have by themselves? And I had a lot to give. I had connections in the United States to potential sources of funding or clients. I had training. I could be, I could train people in doing this stuff. And I, I just wanted to expand. This and, stuff being yeah. audio storytelling. Correct. Yes. But do it in a professional way. Everybody who was doing it at the time who I was meeting was doing it in a very informal hobby way. Like nobody had made money yet. Are you saying in uh, Latin America? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just saw a lot of room for me to fit in and give a lot to the ecosystem of creatives that was like brewing and also in terms of professionalizing the space and then vice versa. In the United States, nobody, in terms of all the production houses that were cropping up at, around, at the time, nobody was thinking in Spanish or bilingually. And I thought that that was a nice niche for me as a founder and entrepreneur. So it was really on a whim. I applied for funding for this startup incubator in Chile. And getting in was really the approval I needed to move forward. Why did you go to Chile to do this? Because of this startup incubator, there's it was very unique. Chile would become another Spanish-speaking country where Martina would be working in her heritage language, thanks to her bilingualism. And it was there where Adonde Media started. Now that that model has been copied all over the world, but Startup Chile is a state-funded incubator and accelerator that gives you equity-free funding to basically grow or launch your business in Chile. It was their form of fomenting innovation and and the entrepreneurial spirit in a country that traditionally didn't have much of that, uh, but they wanted to be like the Silicon Valley of the South. And they're like, if we can't build it because our culture lacks some of this capital or, yeah, yeah. They, they're like, we'll bring it in. We'll, we'll import it. Um, so it was a very generous program because I got $15,000 for free. I just had to spend it in the four months of my incubation period. And then they put me through a boot camp of teaching me how to think like a business and create a business that I hadn't had, obviously. And so I got in, I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. Uh, I'm the CEO of Adonde Media. Like it sounded so crazy when it was said out loud for the first time. That's what I wanted to ask you about the name of, of the company. It's Adonde Media. And I love it because it sounds so whimsical. It's like, where to? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I love that it's um it's actually based on a pun because I had taken a break from regular life between the end of KLW, my work there, and the beginning of the Fulbright to live in a van and travel in a van. And the van didn't have a name. And at some point it got named Adonde Van. And I thought that that was so funny because it's like a bilingual pun, you know? And I was like, yeah. I love the word adonde because it's an invitation almost to go somewhere with us. Like, where are we going? 
you know, yeah, like, hop on, hop on, let's go. <laughs> and that's how I feel about podcasts. And at the time it was very much what podcasts were in Spanish and in Latin America. It's like an adventure. It's been five years since Martina Castro took her entrepreneurial leap. She went on to produce chart-topping podcasts like Duolingo Spanish, Duolingo French, Duolingo Portuguese, and more recently, the critically acclaimed award-winning Los Últimos Días de Maradona. The Last Days of Maradona, a narrative podcast that chronicles the life and death of legendary Argentinian footballer Diego Armando Maradona. This was a massive project because she produced versions in English, Latin American Spanish, Spanish from Spain, French, and Portuguese. And one of your, um, I can't find where I saw it, but I, it seemed to be a motto of Adonde Media was crossing borders with stories. Do I remember that right? Yes. To celebrate our fifth anniversary, I hired an illustrator to create an illustration that would commemorate all the things we've done in the past five years. And um, we need a little tagline. Our formal tagline has been a globally minded podcast production company, but that felt so businessy. And I was like, that, we can't put that on a, on a, an anniversary, you know, tote. Uh, it has now become a tote bag. And so crossing borders with audio stories was what we came up with. Crossing borders and storytelling requires making key editorial decisions, like the ones Martina and her team at Duolingo make. I know in the, uh, in the Duolingo Spanish uh, podcast that you often will introduce the Spanish by saying, uh, this person's from Puerto Rico or this person's from Argentina, and so they speak, they say this way, and then you give an example. I find that extremely interesting. You know, it was a choice that we made obviously with Duolingo, but it was very important to me as a creator and a storyteller that we expose people to the real Spanish. Like there's something about the academic setting for language learning that is very sterile and neutralized and nobody talks that way. I mean, how many, how many times have you come across a phrase that you were taught as like, as if it were real, I have these in French that nobody uses. They're actually not actually used in mm -hmm. common language and how, what a waste. And so I, I think the next level of listening comprehension is to understand Spanish as it's spoken, Spanish as you hear it in the real world. As a Spanish learner myself, I can attest to feeling defeated when after so much study, I then heard Spanish spoken in the real world only to have no idea what they were saying. I feel the same way about French. And so our Duolingo French podcast is the same. You're going to hear accents from Canada. And accents from, and so oh. if you're studying Spanish, you should be hearing it spoken in Costa Rican Spanish and so not just Mexican from the city of Mex you know, Ciudad de Mexico, but Mexican from other regions of Mexico too. One of the things I admire and I'm kind of mystified by with the Spanish uh, Duolingo podcast is that you don't translate. As you say, you chime in in English for context. Why do you do it that way? Well, it was very important to Duolingo that the podcast feel like any normal podcast, that you just feel like you're putting on your favorite podcast that you would like to listen to, regardless of whether you're practicing your listening comprehension. And so it needed to be entertaining first and you needed, 
and it kind of like sneaking in the the learning. So if we were to stop and say, and just really truly translate, it just would start sounding like a lesson. And we didn't want that. I have to say you have succeeded because I'll often find myself sending the podcast to my friends who don't even speak Spanish because it's so cool. And and I haven't heard any complaints from them yet. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> well, you know, it is it is designed so that you don't lose the thread of the story so that my chiming in for context is also to chime in. So you, if you truly just did not get what the last person just said, you don't get lost. You don't get that feeling of despair. Like, oh no, now I need to rewind or I can't keep going. You should be able to keep going and not miss the important parts of the story. So you can finish the episode and feel good. Like you got something out of it. Was that intuition or you were like advised by an education expert? It was a little bit of both, but I would say it's mostly informed by Duolingo's linguists and mm. um, language experts in terms of cognitive load. The idea is every 30 seconds to give your mind a rest. So even the pacing of the storytelling is, is all thought out to really make it as digestible as possible. Now, obviously we can't hit everybody's fluency level. It's very much, even intermediate is like a big swath of people. Some people Boy. really understand much less <laughs> than others. And so I think it's also just practical that we would want some details to be reinforced in the host in English so that we can capture a wider swath of learners. Yeah. Well, it's worked for me. I, I was able to interview um, Luis Van Aan for my book. Luis von Ahn is the co-founder of Duolingo. And he explained that Duolingo, the purpose of Duolingo is to, is to get those shy people, which are about 80% of us, uh, comfortable enough with their Spanish or their language so that they'll begin having real conversations with people. And that's what it did for me. And so now I embarrass myself on a routine basis with Spanish speakers. And your podcast was such an important stepping stone because listening and understanding um, was my weak spot and still is. And so the, the podcast just uh, were, became my good friend. And, uh, and, and it wasn't just, and it was, it was a joy to do it rather than another Spanish lesson because I'm learning all this culture you know, the current episodes with the uh, tour of Mexico cities uh, and the neighborhoods, uh, La Roma and uh, uh, La Condesa, no, no. Condesa. Condesa. Condesa, La Condesa. And now I just have to go there and, and see these places. And then your, your whole series on uh, climate change heroes, uh, bravo. It's just, I'm learning, I'm... Uh, and uh, it's so enjoyable. So Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. language learning is so much about confidence, right? Um, you have to have some level of confidence to really throw yourself into the embarrassing part, which we all have. Everybody does. I have my version of the embarrassing part. Um, well, I got to hear that. Tell, uh, well, tell it, us an embarrassing part. It keeps, it keeps evolving, right? The better I get, the further that post signpost gets. But like, for example... My Spanish improved greatly when I moved to Uruguay. I got a Fulbright to teach audio storytelling at the Univers Universidad de Montevideo. 
And that really catapulted me forward. I mean, of course, working in Spanish on Radio Ambulante, which was the first podcast I co-founded and produced, really shifted my mindset. And I was starting to work and think and talk to people in Spanish in my everyday, like in my work, which was a huge shift for me. And then I joined a band and I was singing music in Spanish. And so that also shifted in having friendships in Spanish. I mean, it's all about different contexts of conversation, right? But then living in a country where I had to speak Spanish to go to the bank or go to the supermarket. I mean, that's the real test. But but even before you moved to Montevideo, you found places for Spanish to live in your life with your friends. But let me ask you, when you first went to Montevideo and you get in front of these students and you're teaching in Spanish, were there any embarrassing moments? I guess I was embarrassed. I don't know if they would know or recognize this as embarrassed, but I was embarrassed my first class where I read a script that I wrote. I wrote the entire 90 minute class out word for word. I was so scared that I would make like an obvious mistake. And one of my go-tos is always to just let people know. Now I'm not embarrassed for them to know that, hey, I Spanish is not my first language. It's not my most dominant language. Just FYI, I'm going to make some dumb, you know, mistakes. But the problem is that my accent was so good that no one expected me to be, uh, you know, make mistakes. And so uh, they were confused. They would look at me like, wait, but you just said something dumb. That doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, oh, right. I don't speak Spanish confidently like this. I am an English speaker. Like I would have to tell people like in the store. That is so funny because me, I, I don't have that problem. I open my mouth, my mouth immediately. <laughs> They know. <laughs> but isn't that a funny silver lining? Like you get a lot of benefit of the doubt because people immediately know that you're a learner. And so they get their mind ready to communicate with a learner. I get this treatment of like, what's this weirdo say? Why doesn't she understand the words coming out of my mouth? And it'll be because they're using colloquialisms that I've never used. So I don't know mm. what they're referring to. That gives me some confidence because you're so great at Spanish and even you had yep. problems. Even me. I, thank Even you for me. giving me that confidence boost. <laughs> I, You're uh, so welcome. As you've heard before, one of Martina's biggest passions is music. I've actually been singing since I was very young. I trained classically since I was 13. And so I studied opera and sang arias and very big part of my life until I decided to do, to become a journalist and dedicate myself to audio storytelling. But somehow her passion for storytelling and music have converged into something beautiful when in 2022, she launched the Spanish version of one of the best music podcasts, Song Exploder. Which is a podcast, a music podcast that became very popular in English and also a Netflix series. and. Um, we launched Cancion Exploder. Cancion Exploder is a show where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. This podcast also won the Premio Andas for Best Episode, the one featuring Jorge Drexler's Silencio. Look, Mom and Dad, I'm in the music business. Hey, I know. <laughs> it was a really nice return, I have to say. A marriage of my passions. We're all swimming in video all the time. What can audio storytelling do that video cannot? Well, I always say that a good audio story is just like a good book. 
it privies you of a big sector of information so that you have to fill it in yourself. So I feel that audio storytelling is participatory for the listener. They have to fill in the blanks. They can't see the scene that we're describing. So you have to imagine it. And in good literature, that's why it's so satisfying because you get to participate and create the world with the storyteller. And yeah, video definitely can't do that. Do you think there's more acceptance of uh, bilinguals in the United States than in the past? I believe that it's become valued to speak another language in a way that it hasn't before. The fact that my best friend's son is five years old and speaks Spanish better than either of his parents, and he can't even communicate with them anymore. He has to talk to me or to his nanny because he can't, he's surpassed their level of Spanish. Like that concept of American parents with kids who speak another language than they do at such a young age, I think is new. And so there's a definite like increase in value for bilingualism. And obviously way more studies about what it does to your brain and how it enhances your ability to perceive the world. With all the progress, Martina still sees problems. They assume, because I'm in the United States, I'm a primary English speaker, dominant English speaker. They don't consider us bilinguals as a market. I was just watching the World Cup, first World Cup game. We were watching it through Telemundo, I think. And very interesting to see commercials because I don't really watch TV anymore. And so what were the commercials? One first one was fully in Spanish, second one fully in English, third one Spanglish. So if you self-identify somehow as Latino, they know you're bilingual. But if I'm general public, we're invisible still. I would love to see us be more visible as a as a as a group of people who actually like to consume stuff in both languages or multiple languages. Well, we um, at America the Bilingual, we've studied uh, the number of bilinguals in the U.S. versus other places and when it comes to Spanish. And I, I was shocked to find that the United States has more English-Spanish bilinguals than the rest of Latin America combined. Oh, wow. Does that shock you? You know, it doesn't. I mean, I've long been saying that the United States is a Latin American country. And thanks in part to Martina Castro, the United States is certainly full of more and more bilinguals of increasing confidence. We hope you've enjoyed our talk with Martina Castro. If you like our podcast, please share it. You'll be helping to spread the power of bilingualism to do good in America. You can read about other inspiring American bilinguals in my book, America's Bilingual Century. Details are on the book page of americathebilingual.com. My thanks to members of the America the Bilingual team who worked on this episode, Fernando Hernandez, who wrote this episode, and his production house in Guadalajara, Mexico, Esto No Es Radio, which also provides sound design and mixing. Also to Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director, and Carla Hernandez at Daruma Tech, who manages our website. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine. Thank you.